A running theme in the podcast is asking people what are tips or some advice that you've been given or something that you've been taught that you now disagree with. So a while back, I was able to grab Lisa Hunt, Rich Keegan, and Chris Danboys, all members of the training team here at High Five, and asked them that question. What is something that you were taught that you now disagree with? There's things that are sort of like everyday pieces, like, you know, make sure everybody has a spot in the circle. Even something like that, I don't hold that so near and dear for every group anymore because it's like, are people like, does that take too much time? Or, you know, ask for eye contact every time. Well, do a couple trainings and cultures that are not your sort of everyday culture and you'll quickly realize like that's not always going to be comfortable for for folks. There's a certain, I think the lens in which we learn something, whether it's the cultural context, our age, our values at the time are going to change. And one of the things I love about this team and being part of this group is that it allows those things to change without having to be like, okay, I have an announcement. I'm no longer being really super adamant about eye contact or hearing from everybody in the group. It's sort of like those things can just change and shift. And certainly on the macro level, my concept of a quality program design and a sequence and progression has changed. I mean, I think we can all, we've talked about this as a team. What's the value of having high elements last? What's the value of having low elements last? All those, all those things. And and then I think we, we all probably have our own, like here, like my top three or four, and I'd love to hear this from you guys. Here are the things that like, just for me are always important. Like no matter what, I've got this. And knowing how to say somebody's name right is super important and sometimes really hard with these one day programs that we have from folks who are whose name sound like sounds that have never come out of my mouth before. I remember being in the same line of the sequencing piece. I remember when I first started, uh, when I did outdoor ed, there would have been like 10 activities that all staff learn and you had an hour and you were good. You're going to go through this 10 no matter what. Like it wasn't really classic ones that think that have come back and forth into people's repertoire or something like a helium hoop or a helium stick. That was something that everyone got taught. Your first 10, that's, that seems a little crazy, but but I see value in it now because of, of knowing what the outcomes are rather than thinking you had to put it every time. But the in the order piece, I always was like name games or something had to come first. I got in the habit of doing activities without ever saying names. And just getting everyone relaxed, like whatever that might be, that it doesn't have to be an icebreaker or a name. You could do names much later if you have multiple day programs and that being beneficial. And then also creating stuff like group norms, full value contracts, us not us lists. I do them now if I have a multi-day program, maybe in the middle of the week, when stuff starts to present itself and we need to evaluate rather than it being creating rules before you even know if the group, they might already do all that stuff. So creating norms for stuff that there's not even there. So I think sequencing for me is, I know that I've sort of changed and moved away from. How does low elements and all the activities we do really, are they truly lead ups for people on the, when they get to the high elements and we're kind of discussing, well, that's in my evolution, the highs are a whole different, whole different animal than lows. And as much as traditionally you would think that the progression of what we used to do, which was games, initiatives, lows, and then that's all going to transfer to a high. I'm really questioning all that and 
thinking more about that as I try and facilitate groups. For me, the, the biggest change is often, this could occur both either in training where you're trying to get content across or team and development where you're trying to you know, support some sort of group goals around whatever they're trying to, the work they're trying to work on. And that may, oftentimes those either curricular goals or group goals often come from what I call an artificial source. They're either coming from the list that you have of skills you need to get to so that you can cut people loose and they can run their own challenge course. Or it could come from a singular manager who has ideas about what he wants his team to look like. And then what you're presented with when you actually show up with the real people on the ground, either ready to learn those skills or that team ready to take on whatever, uh, you know, group task they may have is that they may present with other needs and being okay with going, I know this manager wants X to occur, but they're not there yet. Or that's really not the problem. The problem is something different that's being presented in that way. And likewise with the, you know, curricular goals around training, they may say we want to do X, Y, and Z, but there's no way given their skill level We'll be able to get through X and Y, but Z, you know, the zip wire is n not a reality today. It wouldn't serve them well for me to cut short what was there, what we've been working on, only to cram in another thing that they're not going to be able to absorb. So for me, this notion of, I, I remember early on in my career getting information about what a training was and what I needed to go deliver, whether it was custom or an open enrollment way, or what the team manager of a particular group I was working with was saying was going on and then I would see something different. I remember early on, I would go with what I was told to do or what I thought I should do rather than feeling the group out and knowing that that my assessment skills are actually sometimes in most cases much more astute than the people who are in the mix, so to speak. I think that's the thread of all of this is that we're we're better at being able to figure out where what the needs are in the moment and change it. Like, do I tie this knot here or do I tie that's not there? It's not a black and white, you have to tie this knot in this scenario. It's, well, look at what you've got around you. You're leaning up against something like a dangle duo with the carabiner being removed and making a, a retrace be probably better? Or would it be that the element itself, like a two line that you might rub across and open the gate? So... There, there are just, I think, the, the, that awareness piece of being able to add those. And I think the other thing that I was thinking of when we were, and something I know we've, I've talked to Lisa about and mentioned in other trainings is for us, report out fatigue. I think that's, when I think of a, something that I don't agree with as much now or struggle with is when you're working with groups there in small groups, they've had cool discussions, paired discussions, and then we get them back in the group and we ask them all to report out on the stuff they've talked about is that questioning what the value is for them as much as the value is for me. And I think we trump that the value for me is that I am going to hear if they've discussed the things I hope and they were discussing. It's like a checklist to make sure they didn't have just a random conversation. But that sort of devalues the fact that them having a random conversation or even outside of the question you asked isn't a bad thing. Like you create in this environment where people can talk and have a conversation the more relaxed and sort of kind to ourselves that we can be about, this is the way I used to do it and here's the way I do it now. I think that will allow us to continue to be flexible thinking practitioners. And that if we can hold on to 
those practices loosely, but hold on to the values firmly. You know what I mean? So I get it. There was a time when I used to present the challenge circles. This is your comfort zone. And this is you can't learn in this comfort zone. You've got to stretch and you got to, you know, the magic only happens outside. I don't believe that anymore. And I understand why I did when I did. And so I think that I have to be careful not to be like, I can't believe I used to teach that way because that then slows down my growth. You know what I mean? So I think probably at the time frame at your level of development, you needed a framework in order to think about that. And so that framework served you well. And even though I agree, I might disagree with the way that framework is certain, certainly traditionally presented now, I still think it's a valuable framework for new practitioners to sort of think about how are we challenging people and how are people challenging themselves. So it might provide a framework even if in the moment you use it differently or modify it in instances. So I, I agree. I think on your trajectory of your career, models become less valuable and greater understanding comes with that nuance that that sort of the, the boundaries are more fluid in, a, in the challenge circles. They're grayer that that there are exceptions that there all these things happen. But if you were to just present a new practitioner with everything gray and everything's an exception, they would have no framework in order to work within. So there's just value in different settings. So that was my thought coming off that. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>